the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. We know a little bit about what heaven will be like, but what will we be like? What will you be like in heaven? If you know Jesus Christ, what will you be like in heaven? Will you be able to recognize other people in heaven? Will you be recognizable? Will we be married in heaven? What will our resurrection bodies be like? These are some of the issues that we want to explore this morning and concerning what heaven will be like for us. Lots of questions, and there are lots and lots of answers being tossed around. The only problem is that they're usually the wrong answers because they're based on human conjecture and not what God actually said. However, there are some very interesting things that we can learn about heaven if we take the time to find them in God's Word. And that's what we've been doing for the past week or more on Verse by Verse, as Pastor Steve Kreloff uses Scripture to answer some of our questions about heaven. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I hope you're as eager as I am to see the wonderful home God is preparing for His followers. We've heard some great descriptions over the past days about how beautiful it will be, and how we will enjoy living there. But do you ever wonder what you'll be like? Paul said that at the rapture, we'll be changed. While the Holy Spirit is working continually in us now to change us and make us more like Jesus, that project will be complete when we see Jesus. Paul said, we will be like him. Wow, that's that's going to be amazing. Here's Pastor Steve now to tell us about it. The husband and wife missionary team were returning to the United States on board a ship And uh, they were returning after years of of faithful missionary service. On board that same ship was President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from big game hunting in Africa. As they pulled into the harbor at New York City, scores of cheering people were there to welcome the president home, but nobody was there to welcome this missionary couple home. Disappointed and, and hurt by this, the man said to his wife, look, Look at this. We've we've given our lives to serve Christ. And after a lifetime of missionary service, we return home and no one is here to welcome us home. The president shoots some animals and he's given a hero's reception to which his wife wisely replied. No one is welcoming us home, dear, because we're not home yet. We're not home yet. You see, the Bible teaches that that heaven is our real home, and we need to keep that in mind. It's easy to forget that. Scripture teaches that in a number of places. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 5.8 about being absent from this body and not only present with the Lord, but he says that we are at home with the Lord. He also wrote in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. The Scripture says that we are aliens here. We are just sojourners. We're, we're simply passing through this land, and our final destination, which we have not reached yet, is heaven. Is heaven. But the question is this, what will heaven be, be like 
which we've looked at, but what will we be like? What will we be like? We're, we're now in a short series on heaven. It won't go too long. We're going uh, to continue this morning studying another aspect of, of heaven. We've already have seen that heaven is a real place, a real place where God dwells, where the throne of God is, the third heavens. We've also seen that not only is heaven a real place where God dwells, but heaven is a place of great beauty. It, it is a city in which Jesus said is like a bridal city. It's like a, a, a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. It is a place of great beauty because of the glory of God that shines out there. That's why it's transparent. That's why the, the streets and the building materials will be able to have his glory shine through it. It's also a place of great blessing. God is there in his full glory. And in our glorified bodies, we'll be able to handle that. Now we can't but in his full glory. And therefore, it's, it'll be a place of blessing. Scripture says there'll be no more tears there, no more pain, and no more death. No more death, no more pain. Imagine that. Place of great, great blessing. It'll also be a place for believers only. Those who know that they're thirsty and have come to Jesus Christ for salvation. So we know a little bit about what heaven will be like, but what will we be like? What will you be like in heaven? If you know Jesus Christ, what will you be like in heaven? Will you be able to recognize other people in heaven? Will you be recognizable? Will we be married in heaven? What will our resurrection bodies be like? These are some of the issues that we want to explore this morning and concerning what heaven will be like for us. And I'd like us to do this, sort of uh, in a very loose way, follow the path of a Christian who dies. And we're going to ask three questions about life after death connected with heaven. Question number one, when do we go to heaven? When do we go to heaven? Question number two, what will we be like in heaven? And question number three, will we know each other in heaven? Who will we know in heaven? So let's begin by looking at the first question. You can write this down. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture verses. But the first question says, when do we go to heaven? And you may wonder why we would cover this, because previously we touched on this. We touched on this and discovered that Paul said that to be absent from this body was to be present with the Lord. So you may wonder, well, why, why even discuss this? And it's for this reason. Not everybody including many Christians, really are convinced of that statement. To be absent from this body is to immediately be present with Jesus Christ. Not everybody is convinced of that. In recent years, there has been a wave of what's called near-death experiences, or experience, or it's also known as out-of-body experience. And uh, it has absolutely captivated our society, and many Christians have bought into it. Uh, what is a near-death experience? Uh, let me give you the classic near-death experience, at least the components of it. I'm not saying that every near-death experience has all of these elements, but generally, this is what people um, who have experienced this say goes on. The classic near-death experience involves the perception of being out of the body. Uh, usually, they've been in, in operation, uh, they've been in a hospital, they're being operated on. They say they've been out of the body and they're looking down at, at their own body while resuscitation attempts are being administered uh, by doctors and, and so forth. Soon afterwards, this person finds that he or she is in another location where a spirit world is encountered. There, the person engages in either verbal or nonverbal communication, could go either way, 
with, uh, with various spirits, usually with what they report dead friends or relatives or some kind of being of light, a being of light. Now, this entity, this being of light or the spirit is often very warm, uh, very loving, very kind, and involves the dead person in an evaluation of his or her life by showing an instantaneous playback of the major events in their life. At some point, the person finds himself approaching a barrier or a border, which he is not allowed to cross. So he approaches this barrier, this border, and uh, he's told by the spirit that he can no longer, he cannot cross this. He's told he must go back to earth for his time to die has not yet arrived. However, the one who participates in this experience is frequently, uh, this experience, I should say, is frequently so peaceful, so warm, so joyful and, and loving that uh, the person who go, is going through this desperately does not want to return to earth. They want to go beyond the, the border. Nevertheless, he finds himself back in his body anyway. And when he awakens in this world, he finds that he has been pronounced dead, but was revived. Now, the polls indicate that about 10 million Americans say they've had an experience like this, like this. And it is gaining credibility in the scientific world and community. And there are Christians who seem to accept this. Uh, there are other Christians who say, well, I'm open. I, I really don't know, but so many people have had this. And by the way, it's on the rise. It's not diminishing, it's increasing in terms of popularity. Now, the question that we have to ask, is this a biblical experience of death, or is it in some way related to an after-death experience as the Bible teaches it? And the answer is absolutely no. It is not. And let me explain some biblical problems with this. Now, what you want to do is you want to scrutinize every person's experience in light of Scripture. Experience doesn't mean that it's of God. So let me give you some problems, biblical problems, with this near-death experience. Number one, these experiences deny the biblical teaching about hell. They deny the biblical teaching about hell because when, a, when, when an unbeliever dies, and, and most of the people who say they've had a near-death experience are not Christians at all. The Bible teaches that when a non-Christian dies, there is no joy, there is no peace. The Bible teaches there is conscious torment. And I want, to, I want you to see this. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 16, and I'd put a bookmark there because we're going to be referring back to Luke chapter 16 a few times. Jesus gave a, a story about a rich man and a man by the name of Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus he raised later from the dead, as we find in John chapter 11. I don't believe this is a parable, because it's not, it does not have the language of a parable. Uh, in a parable, if you notice, Jesus did not give proper names. He did not give uh, specific places. But it also says a parable. But this does not say a parable. And its uh, literary expression is different from parables. So it says in Luke chapter 16, beginning of verse 19. Now, there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gay, uh, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now, it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, 
lifting up his eyes, being tormented, uh, being in torment rather, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus uh, bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. By the way, he's not being punished because he was wealthy. And Lazarus is not being comforted because he was poor. The point is, is that the rich man had no time for the Lord. He had no relationship with the Lord. And Lazarus, though he was poor, did have a relationship with the Lord. So keep that in mind. And besides all this, verse 26 says, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Of course, what, what our Lord was teaching is that the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures could lead one to faith in the Messiah. And this man said, but, but if they hear from someone from the dead, they'll believe. And what Jesus was saying is this, before long, I will rise from the dead and they'll not listen to me. If the scriptures aren't good enough, even rising from the dead won't convince them. But I want you to see that, that in this, what, what, we're, what we see here is an illustration that when an unbeliever dies, he doesn't float around meeting a spirit. He, he doesn't have a, the warm fuzzies. He immediately is carried off and goes into torment. So these experiences that people say, these near-death experiences, have absolutely distorted this. The, the experience that people say they have has absolutely taken the fear of death away from them. That's not biblical. An unbeliever ought to fear death. It's taken away from them. And so they say death may not be so bad after all. It's, it's nice. It's nice. Uh, let me read to you, I'm, I've uh, purchased a book called Life After Death, The Facts on Life After Death by John Ankerberg and John Weldon. I'd recommend this uh, strongly to you. But they have a quote here from somebody who said they went through a near-death experience. This is an absolute unbeliever. It's a, uh, I have a quote here by the psychotherapist Carl Jung, who in no way was a Christian. He said this, he described the feelings that he had after his own near-death experience, and I quote, what happens after death is so unspeakable, glorious, so unspeakably glorious that our imaginations and our feelings do not suffice to form even an approximate conception of it. Now, someone follows this by the name of Ring, who is Dr. Kenneth Ring, who is a, uh, psychi a psychiatrist, I believe, from the university, yeah, psychologist from the University of Connecticut. And here's what Ring says. Ring concludes, no one who has experienced even vicariously what near-death experiencers have, uh, can ever again regard death with anything other than a sense of infinite gratitude for its existence. Thus, he writes, I submit is that what follows from a careful perusal of near-death experiences, but what follows from a study of after-effects is different and just as profound. It is nothing less than a new view of life. And I might add a new view of death. And I, and I tell you that this is not biblical. Unbelievers ought to fear death. Something else is happening here. Death for an unbeliever is not warm, it's not joyful, it's not glorious, it's not peaceful. So the first problem that we ought to have with these near-death experiences is that they deny the biblical teaching of hell. 
Secondly, they deny the biblical teaching of salvation. The spirits who, who communicate with this so-called dead person is in the form of either a relative, a friend, or a being of light. And do you know what inevitably they communicate? This is by the 10 million and more people who tell us what has been communicated. They never have anything to say about the issues of real sin, repentance, punishment, faith in Christ. Instead, do you know what they're saying to people? Uh, Their messages are complete acceptance, unconditional forgiveness, uh, and, and unconditional forgiveness apart from faith in Christ. Uh, a deep, all-encompassing love. That's generally the message. In fact, one spirit says this, as, as one person communicated, there are no sins, not in the way you think about them on earth. The only thing that matters is how you think. Now, that's what's being communicated. That's what they're saying. Now, what we need to do is analyze this and by process of elimination determine who is the spirit of being. First of all, can it be Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, because Jesus would never deny himself. Jesus would never contradict scripture. Jesus could never lie, and this is a lie. So we know it can't be Jesus. How about good angels? Could it be them? Well, no, they're perfect. They wouldn't lie either. They wouldn't contradict the scriptures, or else they would not be holy. Could it be a friend, or could it be a relative? No, it cannot, because according to Luke chapter 16, which we just, we just read, the illustration there reveals to us that there is no communication once you, once you die. You cannot go back and communicate with the living. That's why the, the rich man said, Father, send me back or send Lazarus back to tell my family, Father Abraham. And he said, no, no, can't do that. Can't do that. They have the scriptures. They have the scriptures. So it can't be a, a friend or a relative who's left. It has to be satanic. It has to be demonic. 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 14, Mark this well, says that Satan himself is disguised as an angel of light. Satan himself can impersonate an angel of light. This is satanic. This is occult. By the way, this is what the occult uh, medium spiritists practice. This is not very different. In fact, it's very similar to what what they do. This is an occult pagan spiritism. These are demons impersonating the dead. They are deceiving people about the truth of Christ, about the truth about death. They are trivializing sin, teaching that death is good, putting this experience over the authority of Scripture and uh, pre-existing forgiveness, all-encompassing love. It's just absolutely wrong. What this is, is Eastern occult view, the Eastern occult view of death. And we're going to see more of this as the new age thinking takes over. That's all this is. It is not the Bible's view of death. This is spiritism in a sophisticated Western world form. These aren't good spirits, but wicked, lying demons, deceitful demons out to lead people astray. You need to be warned of this. You need to be careful about this. So at death, nobody floats around in in a vague uh, atmosphere, especially not a believer. Then what does happen at death? What what happens to a believer at death? We're we're looking now at a believer. What happens to a believer at death? Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is is relating his last words, his last written words to Timothy and the church. Paul is in prison. 
He, uh, in, a, in a matter of a short time, he's going to be killed for his faith. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. But notice, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And then in verse 6, just before that, he says, the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure has come. This word departure was used by the Greek in the Greek language to refer to untying a boat from its moorings or, or loosening a ship's ropes. And what Paul is saying is that death is setting sail out to sea. Death is a new voyage. Death is like that. It's a departure. It's a departure of the, the soul leaving the body in a permanent way, at least until we get a new body. But that's what Paul said. Death is separation of the body from the soul. It's, it's, a, it's a new voyage. That's what he's saying. We move on. Now, let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 16. I told you to, to stay there. Uh, it's a departure to heaven. But the question says, how do we get there? Do we do it on our own? You may be surprised to know this. But the scripture says in verse 22 of Luke chapter 16 now, it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by who? By the angels to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is another way of saying paradise or heaven. When you die, you're not going there alone. You're going to be carried there by the angels. In fact, uh, Matthew 24, verse 31, you don't need to turn there, but it also says at the end of the tribulation period, the angels are going to gather from the four corners of the earth. They're going to gather God's elect to him. So angels are involved in this. Angels are going to transport us to heaven. And that's, that's good. That's good to know. Angels are going to be there. And by the way, there have been people, uh, believers who have died, very credible believers who have said just at death that the, they've seen the angels who are, are about to take them. And I, I wouldn't uh, just say that if it was only the experience of people, but it's backed up by scripture. Now, the question is, how long does it take to get to heaven? How long does it take? Um, my mom passed away uh, this January will be 11, 11 years. And uh, in the Jewish faith, what they have is uh, after 12 months, the family gets together at the gravestone. And they have what's called an unveiling. Uh, the gravestone is unveiled and there's, there's uh, words on it, very appropriate, nice words on it. And uh, as we were driving to the, to the gravesite, I said to uh, a relative of mine, I said, how can we do this after a year? I mean, why, why do we do this 12 months after, after death? And he said to me, because that's how long it's taken your mom to get to heaven. That's what he said. I said, well, it must be pretty far away then. And uh, 12, 12 months to get there. That's a long time. How long does it take? Let's look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Context is this. The Lord Jesus is, is dying on the cross. He's been placed on the cross. There are two thieves, one on his left, one on his right. And one of the thieves says in verse 42, he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him in verse 43, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's some statement, isn't it? But Jesus could make that promise because he actually knew. He knew where he was going, how soon he was going, and how long it would take. And he knew that the two men crucified beside him would not linger for several days, as typically happened in crucifixions, because he knew the Passover was approaching, 
and the executioners were in a hurry to complete their grisly task. So there was nothing to delay that penitent thief's arrival in heaven. No soul sleep, no purgatory. Paul said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is nothing in between. As soon as the soul and body part ways, we're with Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. If you're just joining us in this series about heaven, you can get caught up at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Go to the Message Archive page and feel free to stream or download all the broadcasts that interest you. There's also a giving page if the Lord is moving you to financially partner with us in this ministry. We would love to have you on the team. Just click the link to the giving page or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. I'm Jerry Peterson. Are you encouraged by what you've heard so far? Well, I hope you can join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more about how quickly we'll make that journey to heaven and then go on to share some facts about heaven that will give us courage today. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by... We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.